Amen. I wonder if we can put our hands together and give God a cheer this morning. Amen. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that we worship a God who brought us out with a strong arm. Amen. A strong hand, a mighty hand and a strong arm. Amen. How many believe that God brought you out of sin and out of bondage with a strong hand? Amen. Can we just lift our hands to heaven and say, Lord, thank you that it, your strong arm. Amen. It was a mighty, mighty work in my life, Lord. And I give you praise for that. Amen. Lord, I thank you today that you brought me out of bondage by a strong hand, a mighty hand, Lord. And I thank you today. I worship you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. You know, some of you, man, it took a lot for you to get saved. (laughs) Come on, amen. God had to open waters and drown armies and do all those things, amen. Is that right? But aren't you glad that, amen, God had a, a way of escape. Is that right? God has a way of escape. He has a way of freedom. And uh, we believe in deliverance in this place. We believe in, amen, repentance. We believe in freedom from sin and, and, and healing. How many believe in divine healing? We do. We believe in divine healing here. And, and Jesus is our great physician. And so afterwards, after the service, we always take a little time and, and make time for prayer after the service, around the front especially. And um, so if you're here today, and, or maybe just listening online and you need prayer, uh, if, especially if you're here today. We do have people that come around the front here, right up front here, and uh, who believe in the power of prayer, who believe in the power of God. Amen. And how many know, you know, we, we, we take medicine and we do some things and we hope for the best, but we need the power of God. Amen. Come on. And uh, we can't make it on our own and we can't do things without His power. I'm so thankful for that this morning and so thankful to look out and see a bunch of people that have really been touched by Jesus Christ in a very real way. A very divine way, come on, in a very supernatural way, amen. And I'm just so excited about what the Lord's doing in your life and our life here as a body, as a church, and uh, just so thankful for that today. You know, wanted to get right, right into the uh, preaching of the Word today, right into the Word, and um, sometimes I have a little bit of a long intro, and other times I just get into the Word. So we want to get into the Word today, and uh, we want to talk about living under the influence of the end some more, and uh, I, I just read of a scripture in 2 Timothy, one of the things that Paul told Timothy uh, in the last days that would happen, he said that there would be perilous times that would come or difficult times that would come. How many have read that scripture before, right, in 2 Timothy? And, you know, one of the things he said is he said that there's going to be, you know, rebellion towards God, there's going to be fighting, and there's going to be all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, disobedient to parents. People are going to have itching ears to follow after uh, they're just gonna. They're gonna have a form of godliness. Deny the power thereof. They're gonna be. Uh, there's gonna be violence. There's gonna be all kinds of vulgarity and perversion. And you know, if you look at that, you think, well, that's a kind of a TV show these days. <laughs> how many read that list? You thought, man, I just kind of. It's on TV, right? But how many know we're living in this perilous times? We're also living in a time that God wants to display His power in an awesome way. Amen. I'm going to believe that. Amen. We may be living in perilous times, but I believe God wants us to live in power, powerful times. Amen. And uh, these are perilous times, the Bible says. And so sometimes as Christians, you find yourself walking the line and walking in this place between, uh, you know, conspiracies, <laughs> deception, and truth. Is that right? And the Bible describes that's kind of, kind of the last days. We're going to be in these times where there's going to be great deception. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be all kinds of, uh, you know, conspiracy theories. Is that what Jesus said? Yeah, Jesus said, listen, people are going to tell you that Jesus is over here. He's over there. 
Here's the Christ. There he is. He's, no, Jesus said there's a lot of conspiracies in the last days. He said, but there is a truth. <laughs> amen. And how many are people the truth? Amen. And so we're walking that line and living in that light of truth today. And, um, uh, you know, it doesn't really make us better than our neighbor. It just really enlightens us to what God has in his plan. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be a declarer of the truth today. Right. Amen. But how many know we live in perilous times? One of the things that we can never really get away from as Christians and never deny, we never will, and get away from, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're so excited about today, I can declare some things that are real and true. I'm not you know, going to declare some things today that I've thought about and I made up and it sounds good to me and it makes sense. And I put some dates together and I got this code and how many know I can just read the Bible and I can discover truth and I can say it today. Amen. How many know where there's truth, there's life, there's freedom. That Jesus said that if you're going to know the truth, you're going to be free. And so we declare that today. And uh, so the next time you're watching a TV show, I said, yeah, this is this is Perilous Times TV show. This is exactly what this is. And, uh, but how many know the closer we get to Jesus coming back, Jesus even said some things might get a little worse, some things might get a little better. Amen. But it's all good. Is that right? Because he's coming back. And so I want to just continue on this thought today that those that live under the influence of the end look for the return of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we find that Jesus, who had spent 40 days after the resurrection, had shown himself to many, the Bible says, and he had, uh, was eating with the disciples and teaching the disciples. And, and he was uh, really just kind of, uh, the, I believe the disciples thought Jesus was going to start establishing his kingdom on the earth. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus said, look, well, actually, a question came up and said, when are we going to know the end? When is the kingdom of God coming? When are we going to see these things? And Jesus said, those things aren't really for you to know. He said, but I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses on the earth. And then the Bible says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he, lifted, he was lifted up. The Bible says he began to, to be lifted up off the ground. And a cloud came and took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, uh, wherever he went, and behold, the two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who's taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him leave the earth. Amen. And so what he's saying is, is that he shall return like he left. Some people thought Jesus would come, return the second time like when he was born. But the Bible makes it clear that he's going to come back the way he left. Amen. How many believe that with all your heart? Jesus is coming back. Amen. You know, we could sit here and have a lot of debate about when and how and the date and all that. But, and uh, exactly the, the events of that. And that's not really what I'm going to... I'm going to reserve that from another time. And uh, that will be a big prophetic conference. We'll charge money for that. No, I'm just kidding. We won't. <coughs> Amen. But here's what we know. Let's go with what we know, all right? Let's go with what we know. We know that nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. But he is coming back, but no one knows. We know that it's going to be suddenly. The Bible says that it's going to be when you least expect it. It's, it that, that Jesus is going to crack the sky. The Bible says he's going to open the sky. Amen. The eastern sky at one point will be split open. And, and then the Bible says it will be in public. Every eye will see Jesus. It'll be on a global scale. It's not just for America. It's not just for your neighborhood. But it's going to be on a global scale. And we also know that on that day that there'll be two perspectives. The Bible says 
In 2 Thessalonians, as Paul was teaching, he said that there's those that will love and rejoice when Jesus shows up, and then there are those that will tremble and fear when Jesus returns. So those are the things we know. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us that we ought to pray, Thy kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus, right from the very beginning, taught us that even in our daily prayer life, that we need to have this desire, this longing for the second coming of Jesus. How many believe that? You know, if you're living under the influence of the end, you know that Jesus is coming back. But the Bible says that you're looking for that day. We're people that, as the Bible says, we love His appearing. How many know we're going to love His appearing? It's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. Amen. We haven't... We, there's no movie that we can uh, make that will really capture that moment and that time that will be, be so awesome and so amazing. The Bible says there will be two perspectives on that day. But one of the things that Jesus makes clear in Matthew 6 when he says, Thy kingdom come, not only are we supposed to long for that second coming of Jesus, but also that he makes it clear that our goal in this life is not to Christianize the systems of this world, but we are to live in the principles of the kingdom or see the principles of the kingdom come, come on, and operate in this world until he comes back. Amen? So that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're trying to establish the, the principles of the kingdom of God until that, that day, the Bible says, then there'll be a fullness of that day, that kingdom of God will be full then. We'll understand it. It'll be complete then. Is that what the Bible says? Well, aren't you glad we can have a little bit of heaven right here on earth? Amen. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. And, and it has nothing to do with riches or houses or wealth or prestige. It has everything to do with the presence of God. But anyways, one of the things I just wanted to share today, a few of the things I wanted to share today about looking for the return of Jesus. I'm not going to get into a lot of the things in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation. That's for another lesson. But this is about living under the influence of the end and how it impacts our life on a daily basis. And so I want to just share with you a few things about looking for the return of Jesus. Number one, Jesus taught us that we need to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Peter echoes the words of Jesus and he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be sober and watch with prayer. Watch with prayer. Jesus said that we need to watch and pray. Watch and pray. That means to wait, to look with anticipation, to watch. It also means to prepare yourself. And I like the words in Mark 13. It means stay awake, stay alert, watch, watch and pray. How many of you believe that as you pray, your, in your prayer life is going to prepare you for the return of Jesus Christ? As you pray, Jesus knew that, that's why he told us that, because he knew that the wisdom in those words and that teaching, that if we'll pray and that we'll obey what he says and we'll walk according to his word, that it helps prepare us to meet the Lord. It helps prepare us for the day when Jesus will come back. How many believe that? Amen. And so we watch and pray. And so our prayer life isn't just about what we want in life, but it's about being prepared to meet the Lord. Wow, isn't that, isn't that amazing? It, it helps us stay awake. Come on, look, look at somebody beside you and say, you need to stay awake this morning. I'm just going to do a little sidestep here and say that, it, that it's really warm in this building. And I know that when some of you get really kind of like above like 60 degrees, you just sleep. I get it. I understand. But in Acts chapter 20, I was just thinking of this story before I came up here. The Bible says that there was somebody listening to Peter preach, and he was preaching a long time. He fell out of the window and died. 
But the good thing is they went down, prayed, resurrected him, and he had to sit and listen to the rest of the message. So either way, we're going to listen to the word today. All right. Anyways, I used to tell that teenagers about staying awake. They, you know, kind of throw it out there. Anyways, it means to stay awake because no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said if you knew when a thief was going to come and break in, you'd be prepared. But the Bible says that Jesus is going to be like a thief in the night. You don't know what night it is. Isn't that right? That's what he says. And so we got to stay awake. We've got to stay alert. So watch and pray. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Everybody's going to be living their life as they always do. Nobody's going to think anything of it. It'll be unexpected. People were marrying, giving marriage, they were drinking, they were doing this, they were doing that, living their life. You know, they had the, you know, all the malls there when Noah was alive, and they had all those things. I mean, where'd you think he got the tools from? But, you know, think about it. And, and everybody was just living their life, and the Bible says, and one day the rains came. And how many know one day Jesus is coming back? So we don't know that day, but the Bible says we can be prepared for it. We can watch for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to move up on a mountain and, and every couple of days check in on somebody that lives in Jerusalem. Did he split the eastern skies yet? Did he come in there in Mount Olives? I mean, I'm really watching for this thing. I mean, you know, some people think, well, I don't need to get a job because Jesus is coming back anytime. And you're not going to need money in heaven. Yeah, but you need money here. So, you know, we, we, there's a wisdom there, isn't there? It's not just don't do anything and pray. Don't do anything and watch. What he's saying is we need to watch in prayer. There's faith and action right there. Faith and works right there. Come on, somebody. Amen. We're believing for it. We're looking for it. We're looking with anticipation. Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says that we need to be prepared for Jesus to come back. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, Paul told Timothy, he said, I charge you that you fulfill all that God has told you to do, that no one can find fault with you from now until, our, until Jesus comes back. He said, you need to, to be uh, you know, prepared for this. You need to be doing something, what God told you to do. So I like to think of it this way. Be ready by obeying His every word every day. How many know when you... When you do what the Bible says and the teachings of the Bible, it'll prepare you to meet the Lord. That makes sense, doesn't it? Amen. Come on, you prepare to meet your maker. Amen. You don't have to worry about when you lay your head down for the last time. You're prepared. You're ready. The Bible says, and you're not just ready, but as long as we're living on this earth, we're watching. We're waiting for the Lord to return. I don't know about you, if you've ever had a dream or anything or kind of a just a... a, a any kind of perception or whatever about it, but I remember being just a little kid. I remember having a dream about Jesus coming back. Freaked me out. But it was, it was just like the Bible said. It was like I could see it and it, it spanned the whole uh, horizon. It was like I saw Jesus, all these angels coming back. And I was like five years old and I ran in the house and repented and gave my stuff back. I mean, I don't know what I did, but I mean, it just really changed me and I just had that experience. And so the Bible says that we need to be ready by obeying his every word. In our text in Titus chapter 2, what the series really was based on in Titus chapter 2, the Bible says that we need to live right looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for that day. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Savior Jesus Christ and His mercy is going to give you. That's what Jude 21 says. That we need to always stay within the boundaries of God's love 
that we wait patiently for eternal life. So how many know the Lord hasn't called us just to join some group that just has binoculars and they're looking towards Jerusalem waiting for Jesus to come back? Amen. But how many know we're busy until the Lord returns? Amen. But we're watching. We're always watching. You know, there's just something about it that when you hear worship or you uh, certain songs that have been written over the years and certain things that have been said, it makes you really think about Jesus coming back. I think that's normal for a Christian. I think that we need to live under the influence of the end. We need to always be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I also believe that we need to not just stay prepared, but I believe that we need to stay focused. You know, it's very interesting, um, a word study I was doing this week that... Uh, and, and a tendency that we as people have, have a tendency to do. And that is, even though we, we're people who prefer, we kind of prefer big rewards over small ones. How many prefer big rewards over small ones, right? But we're, we, we've got this nature in us that we rather have present rewards than future rewards. So, so even if the future reward is much bigger and better, we'd rather have something today than tomorrow. We'd rather have it now. Is that right? That's, that's human nature. And even though it's bigger, even though it's better, we still would say, you know what? We want it today. We'd rather have $100 today than $200 next year. All right? And there's actually a word for this. It literally is a word, two words. Actually, it's hyperbolic disc, uh, discounting. It's where our, our inclination to choose immediate rewards over future rewards, even if the immediate rewards are smaller and more insignificant. Isn't that amazing? So the further away a reward is in the future, the smaller the immediate motivation is to achieve it. That, that's just in our, our nature. Our nature is, is that like, even though it's a bigger reward, in that, but that's way down the road, we'd rather have something today even though it's smaller and less significant. I mean, that, that's, that's not the nature of Jesus. Jesus said, man, you need to anticipate the greater reward, live for the greater reward, amen, in the future. Don't live for today. I mean, just, just, just you know, get around the stuff that you need to eat and live and have clothes and food and be content. But man, think about the reward that's coming. Think about what's going to happen. Think about eternal life. Think about eternity. That's much bigger and much better than what you have right now. But how many know there's a lot of us that we lose focus of that? We, lo- we stay focused on what we have today, what, the kind of that little gratifications that we have in these lives, what we're trying to achieve in this life, not what we're trying to achieve in the next life. And how many know we need to stay focused? Amen? And so objects are, are, are events are further away, and so when they're further away, they appeal, appear much smaller and more insignificant, and they lose their value. And so because of that, a lot of times Jesus teaches that, you know, uh, you know there's people that uh, just because, you know, the master didn't come back right away or just because they didn't see something right away, they lost heart. They gave up. Come on. We shouldn't be that way. Is that what the Bible teaches? We shouldn't be those kind of people. So not only do, it is when, it, when we talk about looking for the return of Jesus, do we talk about watching and praying. Second thing that would really help with the looking for the return of Jesus is is understanding that we're not going to fear judgment. That's important, isn't it? When you're looking for the return of Jesus, you don't have to fear judgment. You don't have to fear judgment. In fact, uh, you know, the Bible talks about that day, on that day, or the day of the Lord. How many have ever read scriptures about the day of the Lord? It does talk about wrath and vengeance and punishment, and it mentions the word over and over again, judgment. In Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, both state this, 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many know all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? The Bible says that it's appointed once for men to die, then what? Then the judgment. Then the ju Everybody got real uptight right now. You're real quiet on me here. Amen. Everybody's like, ooh, you're kind of church. I knew it. I knew it. You talk about money or judgment. Got it. Well, it's in the Bible, and I believe it. In Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, it says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me talk to you about the judgment seat for just a second. It means just a step up. It means it's used as a unit of measurement, or it talks about in many cases that we believe it's a platform where the judge sat during really that pronouncement of a verdict. That's, that's the judgment seat. That's what we understand. But it also means that measurement. The unit of measurement that God uses. The judgment seat of Christ. And so it's a decision resulting from an investigation. <laughs> Did you know that? There's an investigation put out and then there's a decision that's rendered about our lives. And so the judgment seat of Christ, many times I would think, okay, well, only you know, wicked people are going to face the judgment. And, and how many have ever wished that your neighbors would face it tomorrow? And right, we, we throw that out there. You know, you're going to be judged, buddy. You know, we, whatever. Um, but the judgment seat, really, you need to study this and read this. It's very clear in the Bible what it's all about. The judgment seat of Christ, it does not determine salvation. It doesn't. Because that was determined at Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary. Salvation for us was determined at the cross. That's where we're saved. Come on, somebody. You don't get saved in front of the judgment seat of Christ. That's not a determination of salvation. Yes, it'll be answering for our sins committed, but primar the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ is where or how you will spend eternity. So it's not where you will spend eternity, it's how you will spend eternity. That's the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible describes the two people on judgment day, and uh, despite what you... Uh, you know, watched with you know uh, the movies on Judgment Day. Uh, the Bible talks about Judgment Day, very clear. But the Judgment Seat of Christ. It's it's actually there's many things that we could talk about. With talks about the Judgment Seat or the Throne of Grace, the Throne of God. But there's two people that will stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. That describes these two people, and so we know that um, just reading these two passages in Romans 14 and then Second Corinthians 5, the, both passages refer to Christians. It's talking to Christians. It's referring to Christians. That we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not just unbelievers. I used to think that those that don't know the Lord will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm just going to skip into heaven. And I'm just going to live in eternity. And I'm, I'm just going to receive a crown because I'm just a, such a nice person. <laughs> and the Lord and I have a thing going. But really the Bible makes it clear it's not just for unbelievers. It's for believers. The judgment seat of Christ involves believers giving account of their lives to Christ. Did you know that? And so as believers, the Bible teaches us that we'll be judged on two things. Number one, our loyalty to Jesus. Our loyalty to Jesus. How many know the Bible warns us, don't follow after false Christ? Right? So we'll be judged. Where are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to be his disciple? Are you going to be loyal to him? Our loyalty. And the second thing is our actions based on the words of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus, the doctrines of Jesus, our actions, how we lived our lives according to the words of Jesus. So our deeds, our words, our thoughts, our motives will be judged on that day. Um, you know, and, and you know, the other thing is, I believe that God looks at what we were called to as well. Not just what we did in life, but what we were called to. 
That's why the callings and giftings of the Lord are so important. They're so vital for every one of us to walk in those. That's why in our growth track, we make such a big deal about it. Not just because, hey, we want to see what you're good at, but we understand that you have to come into your calling. You have to come into your purpose. You have something that God wants you to do, and we want to help fulfill that in your life. We want to coach you through that. We want to help you discover that. Come on, somebody. Amen. That God has something for you. Why? Because God will, uh, you know, in the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says, will be judged out of those things what we've done. Not just haven't done, but done. And also the judgment seat of Christ. Believers, the Bible says, are rewarded based on how faithful they are to Jesus. How faithfully they serve Jesus. Well, I don't believe in that. Well, then you don't believe in the scripture that says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Everybody wants to be that famous servant, that fabulous servant. But Jesus calls us to be a faithful servant. Come on, somebody. Amen. So that's the judgment seat. And, you know, there's going to be a settlement on that day. That's what a judge does. Judges, he's fair, he's just. How many believe God's just? He's fair. And so there's going to be a settlement on that day. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, let's just read that, verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive that is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Not in your heart, not in your soul, not in your spirit, in your body. Therefore, because of this... Therefore, the Bible says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. So in other words, what he's saying is, because, I believe in the King James, it says, because of the terror of the Lord, because of the fear of the Lord, because of this sober thought. That's what Peter told us to live soberly, didn't he? Because of this sober thought and this realization that all of us will stand before the Lord, how many know it's important that we live our lives right? And not only that, but because the people that we love, we want to see them make it. We want to see them saved. We want to see them in heaven, right? So it's important that we understand that. It's an important time when you stand before the Lord. That's a, that's a major, major event in all of our lives. We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives, everything that happened in our lives. Let me go a little bit further. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, John said, I saw the dead and I saw those that are large, small, great. I saw everybody, the, the dead, stand before the Lord. And he said, the books were opened and people were judged out of those books according to what they have done. Notice what it says, books, plural. He said, the book of life was open and then the books were open." In Psalms 139, when David talked about, uh, you know, how God knew him before he was born. How many love that scripture? He said, in thy book, all my members are recorded. How many know God's got a book? There's a book of life, and then there's a book of your life. Amen. He said, in the books will open. The book of life appears eight times in the New Testament, and so we know that the books will open. The Bible says they're not going to be judged out of how God feels about us, what He thinks about us, how we talk, we persuade Him, what we can bring to heaven, anything like that or the judgment seat. Come on, we're going to be judged out of what we've done. The things that what we do right here in the body, in this earth, all the things that we do. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 14 that a good man's deeds will follow him on judgment day. How many believe that? The Bible says that he doesn't have anything to worry about. He has nothing to fear when he stands before the Lord. He doesn't have to bring his good deeds before the Lord. The Bible says they'll follow him. He'll just be known by them. And they'll just come in and say, okay, amen. And that's when the Bible records that... Uh, the conversations like enter in to the joy of the Lord, you good and faithful servant. And so I, I believe that we can, we can measure our progress right now. That's good. But we will not ever be able to measure our complete success until the end. 
You know, we, we think that, you know, success is uh, what we attain here on earth and the friends that we have and the family. Those are good things. I mean, someone said, man, he had a lot of friends. He was very successful. But how many know the ultimate complete success is told in eternity? All the accumulation of what you did and, and who you were and all the things that happened in your life, the Bible says, so we can mark our progress now. I think that's important, but I think we can't say that we're really successful until the end. And so the real question really right here, before I move on my last point, has to be this. Are you ready to stand before the Lord? Are you ready to face Jesus? Amen. Are you ready to, you know, to, to have that decision about eternity? Are you, are you, is that settled in your heart? Is that something that, that, you know, that you already said, well, I don't need to fear. I don't worry about that. I know exactly what's going to happen in my life when I die. Is there anybody here that you don't? Maybe you don't. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. And, and how many know it's about being saved and born again? And it's not about being a good member of a church. It's about being one in Christ. It's about knowing Him. It's about being in love with Him and having His blood wash your sins. How many know that's what it's all about? Amen. Anything, if I could just be a good church member, if I could just give to the church, if I could just do a, enough good deeds, then maybe God will look down. No, when the Bible says that there's only one thing that God's going to look at, and that's the blood of Jesus. And so, you know, today some of us can really raise our hand in confidence and say, I'm covered by the blood. My book is, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. How many believe that God's got a lot of chapters for your life? Amen. How many want to live every day that, Lord, I want to fulfill your will today. I want to fulfill the, the chapters that you have in my life. I, wanna, I want you to write good things today in that book, amen, about my life. Anybody? Maybe want some bad chapters, but how many know God's never wrote a book, a bad book? He always has a bestseller. Amen. My final point today is, is looking for the return of Jesus is that, we need to work until He comes. We need to work until Jesus comes. It's not just about standing around, attending church all the time and hoping that the world doesn't cave in on us and somehow we get rescued out of this and you know, we just need to move away from everybody. No, in fact, look, it says right here in Acts chapter 1, the angel said, why are you standing there gazing into heaven? Now you got to see this picture. Here it is, or talking to Jesus, and he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, not many days now from now, and being empowered to be witnesses. And next thing you know, he just starts going off the ground. You're like, uh, another miracle. Sweet. Yes. It's miracle day with Jesus again. All right. All of a sudden he's like higher and higher in clouds, and he's further and further. Remember those like those balloons that you ever try to see when you're a kid? And they're like, he's gone. Like he just left. And they're just standing there. And the two angels are like, hello, John, Peter, amen, hello, you know, okay, I've got news for you. He told you about this, amen, he's going to come back just like he left. But now what you need to do is you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to do the mission. And you need to do everything that Jesus did to usher in the kingdom of God, Amen. Publish the kingdom in this earth. Just what Jesus did until he comes. And so I believe that, you know, as, as Jesus made it clear that they need to go to, to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father to be endued with power to do the mission. Why? Because there's work to do. Jesus many times talks about the work, our mission, as a great harvest field. As if, if, as if the, there's vast souls of people's hearts ripening all over the place. Just like uh, wheat fields. And, and there's so many people that need Jesus. And there's so many people that need to go to heaven. There's so many people that need to hear the gospel. How many know we've got a lot of work to do? 
It can't, it can't just be about one person doing it. One church can't do it. One city can't do it. We've got a lot of work to do. Is that right? Amen. I believe that there's still 11,000 people groups in the earth that haven't heard the gospel. I mean, we've got a lot of work to do. There's work until Jesus comes back. I don't know about you, but that should motivate you. That should influence your life. Now, not to be just sit, sit around like a bump on a dill pickle and wait for the next blessing of God, but say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What can I do to continue in this mission of Jesus in the earth today? Amen. How many know there's work to do? Amen. Jesus said, talking about the great harvest, He said, we need to work while it's today because tomorrow's coming when no man can work. There's work to do today. And that's the thing about the Lord. He talks about being good stewards, true witnesses, faithful disciples. In fact, he said, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he find faith on the earth? That doesn't mean a bunch of people just believing, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, they're actually working. They're actually doing. Faith without works is dead. It's faith and works. Come on, somebody. They're praying. They're witnessing. They're living. They're right. They're, they're discipling, evangelizing. Amen. They're involved in the work of the kingdom. I mean, I don't know about you, but you can go to a church that just cares about having Sunday morning church or maybe come to this church where we really care about what happens during the week. Amen. We care about the people that are in the world. We care about our friends and family and people that we see every day that don't know Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know that there is an end. Come on, there is an end. We know that there's an end. Uh, you know, at the end of the tunnel, come on, at the end of the journey, there's, there's an account there that has to be made. There's... There's a decision that needs to be made. And as the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, there's many, many in the valley of decision. Amen? Come on, somebody. But how many knows Joel chapter 2 says God is in the valley of decision? Amen? And so today, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Is the Lord going to find faith on the earth when He comes back? Is He going to find people that are waiting for Him, praying and, and, and just looking for that day, anticipating that day, busy with what He told us to do, constantly thinking about, Lord, what is Your will for us today? You know, the Bible warns us a couple things in closing. The Bible warns us about playing around, <laughs> wasting time. It really does, doesn't it? He, you know, how, how many know in Matthew 25, Jesus said there was wise virgins and foolish virgins. And the wise virgins, man, they, they, I mean, they were ready for the master to come back. They were ready. But the, there was a bunch of foolish virgins. They said that they went out and they just thought, ah, eh, it's not a big deal. We can come to, you know, go to church. We can do that. Whatever we want to do. It doesn't matter. He's going to come. Man, eh, he's not going to come back. I mean, you know, the Bible says that when the knock came on the door, all of a sudden they said, man, we need to scramble here. We need to get ready. But the Bible says it was too late. So it warns us many times about playing around and wasting time. It also warns us about boasting about your life tomorrow. And what does that mean? That you can't say, uh, well, tomorrow I can't make a doctor's appointment because Jesus could come back and I don't want to boast about it. No, that's not what he's talking about. He says and warns us in Proverbs 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day will bring. How many know we're not supposed to boast about it? Jesus even said, don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble. Is that right? Thank God for your food and clothes today. But one of the things that I want to bring out is that James brings this out. He said this. He said, don't boast about tomorrow. He said, rather say this, the Lord's will. If it's God's will, this will happen. If it's God's will. And, and so a lot of people say, well, it's God's will. I'll show up at the doctor's point. If it's God's will, I'll show up to work. No, that's not what he's saying. 
There's so many ways to get out of work, isn't there? And, well, you know, I mean, that's not what he's saying. He, what he's saying is, he said, don't boast in your arrogance. Don't be arrogant about saying that I have control of tomorrow. That I'm going to determine the rest of my life. That I'm going to be the one that tells everybody what I'm going to do about tomorrow and the way that I'm going to live tomorrow. We need to be humble and say, the Lord's will. Let the Lord's will be done. If God tarries, if the Lord tarries, that's what's going to happen. How many know there's a humility there? So Paul and James is saying that it's not about saying that there's no tomorrow. He's just saying, don't be so arrogant about it because he said your arrogance about tomorrow is evil. Why? Because he says this in, in the next verse, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, that's sin. So he's saying, what he's saying is that, you know what, I don't have to do tomorrow. I don't have to do God's will tomorrow. I, don't, I can do my own thing tomorrow. How many know that's arrogant and foolish? You say, don't do that. That's evil, the Bible says. But you've got to do what you have already know to do. Amen. How many know we can always do something today? Amen. We can always do something about today, can't we? Thank the Lord for that. Amen. But he said that if you don't do what you know, the right thing that you know to do, and you fail to do it, to him it's sin. What does that mean for us? That I believe that means that the things that the Lord has put in his word for us to do on a daily basis, uh, you know, in our lives. I feel like if we fail to do that, if we turn our eye from that, our back from that, then that's sin for us. How many know that the right thing to do is to tell people about Jesus Christ? That's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is speak the truth in love. That's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is make the right decision based on righteousness and justice. How many know that's the right thing to do? And if we know those things to do, he's saying, and we don't do those things to us, that's sin. Come on, somebody. Amen. Why does he say don't boast about tomorrow ultimately? Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, just like the writer of Psalms and Proverbs, David said and Solomon said, that life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. That life, he said, that humanity is like the grass of the field. One day it's green, and then the next day it's brown, and it burns up, and it's gone. It's like the flower in the field. Man, it looks so beautiful in June, but come February, it's gone. Come on, somebody. That's the way our life is. Our life is a vapor. You know, when you're a teenager, you think, oh, my gosh, 70 years old? Come on. You get to be 69, you're like, oh, my word. This is crazy, you know. And I'm 50. I'm feeling that one. So life is a vapor, the Bible says. It's frail. You know, the Bible says it's not, it's not something that it's because it's, it's not up to us. We're not in control of tomorrow. God is in control of tomorrow. Aren't you glad that God is already in tomorrow? Amen. That His tomorrow is already His today? Come on. Amen. My tomorrow is His today. So anything I'm worried about, as Jesus talked to me about, as He said in Matthew 6, anything you're thinking about and worried about, let the Lord handle it. Put it in God's hands, your future, whatever. I remember just being a kid and just having such anxiety attacks as a kid thinking, I'm not going to live. Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to go to school. I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids. You know, oh, oh, my word. I mean, no, you can just drive yourself crazy or you can rest in knowing that he's coming back, but he's got tomorrow in his hands. Amen. And so that's the people we are. We live under the influence of the end. And so not only do we... Um, Watch and pray because we look for the return of Jesus. But we also, we're not going to fear judgment. We're not going to fear the judgment of the Lord or standing before the Lord because we know that our life is in Him and that we're trying to please Him. Come on, somebody. Is that what Paul said? Man, that's what I'm trying to do. Please the one who loves me. And then finally, that we can really come to this place that we have work to do. 
I think that needs to really motivate us today. So many people are motivated by the fear of unknowing and tomorrow and what about the four horsemen and, and when, when about Armageddon and all that. How many know you don't really need to fear that because that's in God's hands? We need to trust in the precious blood of Jesus and in the commission that we've been given through Jesus Christ today. How many believe that? Amen with all your heart. How many are looking for the return of Jesus? Amen with all your heart. Can we stand on our feet today? I want to read a scripture in closing. Amen. You know, in Psalms 39, verse 4, I know a lot of you have read this before, and I love this scripture, but it says in Psalms 39, verse 4, David is really just having this time with the Lord, just an, an amazing time with God. Have you ever just been this honest with God before? Lord, show me my life's end and the number of my days. In other words, let me see the reality of how frail my life is, how quick it goes. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Bible says it's a candle. It's like our lives before the Lord are a candle. How many know all it takes is a swift wind to put that candle out? And it's just here today and it's just out the next. And so as the writer of Psalms says this, Lord, show me my life's end. He's not living in fear and anxiety. What he's saying is, let me put life in perspective. That what's important in life, what's essential in life, what, what, what needs to be done today, what needs to be done in my life right now? Where, where am I going? What, what are my decisions about? What is my family about? What, what am I, how many know that's important to make those decisions sometime, isn't it? What am I really doing in life? You ever had that? Maybe you were in college. <laughs> that's usually when you think about that. What am I doing? <laughs> Amen. But I believe that as we live under the influence of the end, as we're talking about here, is what the Bible teaches us is that we need to prepare our hearts. Prepare your heart. Let you know, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. When you see all these things around you, when you see how society's going and everybody's losing their mind, and it seems like the end is near, I mean, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't ever come to this place where you're so anxious about tomorrow that you're just so, you're losing it today. I mean, you're just, you're just losing it. He said, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. He said, don't get to a place where, he said, watch and pray. He, and, and even Paul even taught us, he said that, I mean, you need to, you need to, Think about everything, but pray about everything. Amen? Don't be anxious for anything, but pray. So prepare your hearts, prepare your life, and then it's important that we prepare other people, isn't it? I mean, I think that's kind of what our church really is kind of more about, and, and in a lot of ways, one of the things we're about is we're really about preparing people to meet the Lord. How many know we got to prepare our lives, but we got to prepare other people to meet Jesus face to face. I like what one old preacher said. He said that we need to live like Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, and is coming back tomorrow. That's how we need to live our lives. We live under the influence of the end. We live under the influence that Jesus is coming back, that, that there is this, this call for us as the church to stay focused and stay busy and stay strong. And I believe that we're to be busy about, about telling people about Jesus, gathering souls, as the Bible says, building the church, glorifying Jesus with our lives. And as I'm going to close this message, as the, the writer in Revelation, John closed the book of Revelation, the, Old, or the New Testament was closed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, the Bible says the Spirit and the bride say come. How many, know, how many know the church is saying, Lord, we're looking for your, your return. We're waiting, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many are going to watch and pray? How many are going to come to the place where you're just going to continue in the work 
God has for your life. And we're going to get to the place where we're going to say, Lord, you got to come quickly. I don't know about you, but every time I read the, or listen to the news or read things, I'm like, Lord, you got to come. This is crazy. You got to straighten this stuff up. You got to reign here. I mean, you got to, we need the rule of Christ around here. We, we got to clean this place up. It's dirty. But how many know there is a day when Jesus will split the sky and we'll see him face to face? How many believe that with all your heart today? Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you today. Amen. Because we're people that see not just today, but we value the future. We know what the future holds, Lord, because your book says that you will return just like you left in clouds of glory. Lord, we're not going to fear that day. We're not going to be anxious about that day. We're not going to be anxious about tomorrow and what our lives are to be about. But Lord, we want to be about your business, your mission, your words. I want to live out your word in my life that, Lord, as Paul said, that when I stand before you, Lord, I, can, I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to be afraid of, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts here at the Door Fellowship. I pray you would do a work in our hearts that we would help prepare people, other people, to meet Jesus Christ face to face. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and the power of your grace that changes us, transforms our lives, that we live under the influence of the end every day. I give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord, for what you're doing, what you're going to do in this city and around the world. I thank you, Lord, and give you praise. And everybody said, amen. amen. As you leave today, as you have prayer, maybe you have a prayer need or uh, maybe just uh, a sickness in your body.